to Digest Cast, the show that proves that great things come in small packages. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And of course, uh, normally joining me on these episodes of Digest Cast is my partner, the irredeemable Shag. Uh, but he, he is out sick this week, although uh, he felt good enough to go see Avengers Endgame. Hmm. Uh, but it doesn't matter because uh, along with me for this episode is uh, one of my uh, best pals, a true super friend, Sean Myers. Hi, Sean. Hi, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy to have you here on Digest Cast because we're here to talk about Best of DC Digest number three, Super Friends, which I know is very near and dear to your heart. It has my all-time favorite comic book cover ever in the history of printed media. Whoa! All right. I can't wait to get to that. But, but before we do, we have to thank our sponsor, which is In Stock Trades. This episode of Digest Cast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions all from the 45% off with reshipping for orders $50 or more. Sean, what do you got? I have a book called Genius Animated, the cartoon art of Alex Toth. Perfect. Normally retailing for $49.99. Your in-stock trades price, 30% off, is $34.99. Now, what is it? Is, it, is this a biography of his or is it the, 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 just artwork? I forget which book this is because there's a lot of Alex Toth books. It has artwork from his animation period, so um, never-before-published pieces of art, much of it uncovered in the archives of the Hanna-Barbera Studios. Things Ooh. like Space Ghost, Shazam, Super Friends, uh, Space Angel, and Bionic 6. <laughs> Very cool. That sounds great. I, I imagine like uh, having an office somewhere and pulling out a drawer and finding all Alex Toth artwork. That's really it- like... It's treasure. Like the Ark of the Covenant or something. Like, oh, there's light emitting from it. It's got to be amazing. Well, that's a, that's a perfect pick. Uh, and I have, of course, a Super Friends-related one. I have The Art of Ramona Fraden hardcover, which is uh, published by Diamond Entertainment. It is labeled as the definitive retrospective of Ramona Fraden's career. It talks about her work from the 1950s to her later work with Marvel, doing The Cat, The Fantastic Four, DC's Plastic Man, The Freedom Fighters, and, of course, Super Friends, featuring a forward by Walt Simonson. How cool is that? It's 144 pages. Normal price is $29.99. In stock trades price is $20.39. So you can pick these two books up and you'd spend over $50. That means you would get free shipping and you would get like everything you need. What, what more do you need in comic art if you have books by Alex Toth and Remote and Freighton? Like that's it. You, you know, you're done. <laughs> Two of the best artists associated with Superfriends. Absolutely. So uh, for these and all the other trade paperback needs, visit itstocktrades.com. Awesome. Well, again, Sean, I know you're excited to talk about this book, which is, again, I said, Best of DC Digest number three. It was on sale October 11th, 1975. The cover is by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. (laughs) Bob Smith and Joe Orlando. And uh, so why don't you talk about why you love this cover so much? I absolutely love it. Um, Going back a little bit with the Best of DC, the first four covers from the Digest were all painted right. pieces, and they all of them look fantastic. My only re- regret is that cover number five, which was the first Year's Best Comic Stories, isn't painted. I would have loved to have seen that comic cover painted. But I love Super Friends cover because it's all of the Super Friends. They're hanging out. It's Superman reading the Super Friends comic book to all of the Super Friends. Wendy and Marvin and Wonder Dog and Zan and Jaina and Gleek are all together. And I love when all of the junior Super Friends are together in a piece. (laughs) Absolutely. I've mentioned, uh, I think even on previous Digest cast, that I'm a sucker for superheroes getting together to do something social covers. Like, you know, building something like that, that JSA cover where they're like making a giant eagle or something like, or just the heroes palling around. And this, this is such a beautiful image. And I would love to know who actually did the painting part of it. Uh, I don't know whether that's Orlando or was it JLGL. I don't know, but it's, it's got, and you can see these, you'll be able to see this and other images from the book, by the way, on the website, which is of course, fireandwaterpodcast.com. But the cover is Superman sitting in a chair and he's got a copy of Super Friends. And on the floor, there's a pile of comics. And he's surrounded by Batman. Wonder Woman is leaning in. The Wonder Twins, you've got Jaina kind of looking adoringly up at Superman. Gleek's tail is is making a nice curve over below the logo. Behind him is Aquaman standing there with his arm around Robin, who has his head in his hand, just, you know, rapturously listening. And then you've got Wendy and Marvin on the floor. And it's just a beautiful, warm 
cover. It feels very Norman Rockwell. It doesn't look like Norman Rockwell, but it has that feeling to it of just these heroes enjoying their classic adventures. It's just beautiful. And the best part is down by Superman's feet is a whole stack. So, you know, this is going on for a long time. <laughs> Get comfortable, everybody. We're here for a long time. Yeah, it's it really is very beautiful. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, yeah, the first bunch of covers of the DC Digest were painted. The Superman cover, the Batman cover, the Jonah Hex ones. And so it gave these digests in the early days uh, kind of a more literary feel because, of course, book covers were painted. And I'm sure they were trying to sell that a little. I mean, of course, these books had a slightly higher price point. This book is 95 cents. It's 100 pages, so it's a deal. But it's, you know, comics were, in 1979, 40 cents. So you were, you were asking somebody to pay double plus uh, the, the price. And so you wanted to give them something a little extra special. And a painted cover just immediately sort of denotes something unusual. Well, and it's funny because at the time I didn't even realize they were painted versus just drawn. I knew they looked different and I knew they looked great, but at the time I didn't realize that they were painted. Now looking back, I I just wish even just the first 10 or 12 would have been all painted. I would have loved that. Yeah, it's really, really nice. And I did mention there's Wonder Dog uh, up on his hind legs with his paws on Superman's leg, which is probably my favorite part of it just because I, you know, I love animals. And it's 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 so sweet to see the dog sitting there you know, following along with Superman. It's it's a really beautiful cover. It is one of my all time favorites as well. I don't know if it's my single favorite, but I, I it just it, it makes me feel all warm inside when I look at this cover. It is the wallpaper for my iPad. I just, I love it so much. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love it. So, uh, yeah, um, the inside, there on the inside covers, the table of contents, the editor is Julie Schwartz, and it lists that there's going to be three stories starring the Super Friends, one starring the Justice League, and one starring the Teen Titans, oddly enough, but we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, so the first story is the Cosmic Hitman. Uh, from Super Friends number three, it is by, of course, E. Nelson Birdwell, Ramona Fraden, and Bob Smith. Uh, it opens with Wonder Woman and Aquaman battling a villain called Spectrum. Once he is captured by the Lasso of Truth, he suddenly disappears. Batman, Robin, and Superman defeat another villain known as the Anti-Man. He also then disappears when captured. These two villains appear in Dr. Indrum's labs alongside dozens of captured villains. Indrum's plan is to disintegrate their atoms and have them reformed into one robotic creature known as the World Beater. Dr. Indrum gives World Beater a test to go to Earth and defeat all the heroes there. World Beater uses a false signal to gather the JLA at their satellite HQ, and he enters through the teleporter. He claims to have beaten the following heroes, the, the Freedom Fighters, Plastic Man, most of the Titans, the Blackhawks, etc. As World Beater is defeating Elongated Man and Black Canary, the Atom signals the Super Friends and warns them not to come to the satellite. After they learn how Green Lantern was defeated, the Super Friends realize this monster has the powers of the villains they fought. Adam is caught as he is still on the monitor screen, and before the Super Friends can prepare, World Beater is at the Hall of Justice. The Super Friends try and stop him. Uh, Wonder Woman tells Wendy and Marvin to get away because her mother, Hippolyta, had a vision that they were the only ones able to stop this threat. So they formulate a plan as World Beater freezes Aquaman, shocks the dynamic duo, stops Superman with a blast of Anti-Man's power, and turns a Wonder Woman's lasso against her. At this time, Wonder Dog is a decoy, and he trips up World Beater. Then Wendy and Marvin arrive in night armor from the Super Friends trophy room. World Beater, thinking they are other heroes, uses Spectrum's X-rays to scan the armor. Wendy and Marvin bet that the villain's powers meant he had also had their weaknesses, which included the anti-man's vulnerability to x-rays, which knocks him out. The kids then revive the heroes. Superman says medals are not enough to express gratitude for Wendy and Marvin saving the Earth. Marvin says Wonder Dog would settle for a T-bone steak. So, all right, Sean, what do you think of this one? There's a lot to love in this story. I, I love how E. Nelson Bridwell really went a long way into incorporating Super Friends into normal Earth-1 continuity. Yes. You have, you have uh, the defeat of the Justice League, which in a way is great <laughs> because it shows how powerful the villain is. Yeah, I mean this is a, this is a full-on I, – I had forgotten in some of these early issues. Um, these are, this is a full-on Justice League story. I mean, it really, it's got all, virtually all the members at the time. Green Arrow, Black Canary, Adam, Elongated Man. I mean, it is, he is fully immersing the Super Friends into the universe, which is really cool. Something I would have killed for in the cartoon. That's the thing. I loved the cartoon. loved it so much. And even uh, Challenge of the Super Friends, obviously, is probably my favorite season. But the Super Friends comic really brought in the DC universe in the quote-unquote animated style 
but still kept all of the regular characteristics of the heroes, the history, all of their devices, everything. Yeah, I like, I love the um the splash page uh, with World Beater and he's got his arms out and uh, in a kind of abstract or re- representative sort of touch, all the Super Friends are laying unconscious over the lettering of Super Friends, which I just that- think is a really nice touch by Ramona Freyden. I love that too. I love any time uh, like the logo interacts with the story, and here you have yeah the heroes are laying on top of the logo and hanging from it. Yeah, I, lo- I love that's really great, and the the visual design that uh, Ramona Freyden gives because of course she has to create the look for like half a dozen villains that we'll never see again. We will never see again. Uh, you know, they've got this anti-man who kind of looks like the Dr. Phosphorus. He's just black and white and he's glowing. And then when we get up to Dr. Ingram's lab, there's about – there's these little windows and we see something about ten different villains, none of which will ever appear again as far as I know. And it's kind of funny. Like for a comic that was meant especially for young children, that panel where Ingram says – uh, where, where all the villains are like, wait a minute, give us another chance. We can beat the super lawmen. And Indrum says, too late, friends. You're being disintegrated. And there's literally panels of them being reduced to nothing. I'm like, that's pretty dark for a super friends comic. Two things about I do have that in my notes. Two things about that. Um, the disintegration rate almost makes me think of in the Batman 66 movie how everyone is turned into different colored dust. Yeah. <laughs> like the, <laughs> right, yeah. And almost sand art. It's almost like that because he's sucking them out of their individual windows and putting him putting all, them all into like a big box, a big room. But it looks like it's all the different colors of the dehydrated sand that they have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, all of the villains. It's almost like a memory in reverse because the villains remind me now of the dial H for hero villains that people would <laughs> create for each issue. I can see that. Uh, yeah, th- th- some of the designs are, are a little on the goofy side, but I mean, that's, I mean, they mentioned there's someone called Thunderhead, Powerhouse, The Traveler, The Apparition, Turncoat, Ultralight, Fire Lord, Sub Zero, Bombshell. They, they all have very kind of, you know, Dial H for Hero sort of names. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's really good. And I like the design of the world beater. Uh, he's got this antenna around his head, like he's a 1950s kind of alien with these uh, antennas sticking out of his ear. He's got, uh, Purple and purple and orange, which is a unique color scheme. I like that. And, of course, I am never going to be unhappy seeing the other members of the Justice League drawn by Rowan Freighton. You know, we didn't still get to see that all that much. But here she's drawing Green Lantern and Green Arrow and Elongated Man. It's awesome. I agree. And there's a great panel on Digest page 13, which is story page 11, of the Atom. And behind him, you see the world beater's face. Like yes. Up behind him. And all the super friends are seeing it. Yeah. Watch out. Adam behind you. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> and he's like looming over them. It looks, it looks really, really cool. Uh, yeah. He kind of looks like a, at his massive size in that panel, he kind of looks like a, like a gaiju or something. Like he has that kind of feel to like this sort of lumbering <laughs> creature. Um, I do think it's sort of funny that like in this continuity, of course, the super friends exist, and so do the Justice League. And so the part where the Atom is like, we have to, uh, you know, send a message down to Super Friends headquarters. It's like, I wonder if the Justice League are like, hey, why are you guys in like a separate group? Like, you know, you're you're members of the Justice League, and then you have your own little special group that we're not invited to. Like, what's that about? Well, for those who hate Wendy and Marvin, maybe you can think that they were stuck with Wendy and Marvin. I guess that's a maybe that's how the Super Friends sold it. You know, they're like, hey, <laughs> we need to train these young heroes and we don't want them to be part of the Justice League or anything. So but uh, no, I think this is a really fun story. I mean, again, it's it's very kid friendly because it, Wendy and Marvin solved the day and the world beater itself tripped up by the dog. And it literally ends with a wonder dog with a. Uh, a, a thought balloon where he's going, yeah, yeah, it's very Scooby Doo kind of thing. But I don't. It doesn't matter. It's just so much fun. I like the world beater. I love seeing all the the Justice League members together. It's just a terrific story and a great way to lead off the digest. I agree. I, I think it's a fantastic story. And this was from uh, Super Friends number three. Yeah, right, right at the very beginning. Yeah, the first two issues of Super Friends are uh, a two parter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess they figured they didn't want to devote that much real estate to this digest uh, by doing that. So they went to the first one-off story, which is in the third book. So uh, the next story is, strangely enough, not from Super Friends. It's from Justice League of America number 57. It is uh, the famous Man, Thy Name is Brother. 
uh, by Gardner Fox, Mike Zakowski, and Sid Green. Uh, after another, another JLE meeting has ended, Snapper Carr ugh, is mulling over people to write about in his essay about brotherhood for school. With three upstanding citizens that exemplify the subjects he's writing about who have had some recent troubles. Flash, Hawkman, Green Arrow agree to meet with these people and try and help them out. Flash meets up with an African-American boy named Joel Harper and with his aide manages to stop a bunch of fur thieves and inspire him to continue his interest in garments. Green Arrow helps Jerry Nemo, a Native American who was erroneously accused of aiding in a train robbery. The two work together and stop the robbers. Finally in India, Hawkman and Snapper Carr help aid worker Harvey Young make peace between two warring tribes that are in need. After everyone has returned to Jelly headquarters, they tell their stories and Snapper gets the material to be able to write his story. So this is uh, this is an unusual issue. I mean, this is, I I love this whole thing of uh, you know you know about this modern debate of people don't want politics in their comic books, you know SJWs and stuff. Well, I mean, here's Gardner Fox doing a total kumbaya kind of thing about you know the JLA sort of playing UN. I mean, this is a very unusual story. Uh, what do you think of it as a, as a choice uh, for the digest? Um, I'm divided about it. Um, Probably the only thing stopping this from being my absolute favorite digest ever is the fact that there are stories in here that aren't super friends. Right. At the time, at the time I bought this, and I bought this off of the stands, at the time I hated the other two stories (laughs) because it's taking away space from super friends. Looking back now, um, and honestly, I probably hadn't read these other two stories in the digest until preparation for this podcast. Oh, wow. I definitely can see why they picked those two stories to be in this digest. Um, Mm -hmm. Both stories send a great message about understanding and brotherhood, unity, that kind of thing. So I'm a little bit more okay now that they're in the book 40 years later. I definitely think the Justice League story, it definitely is well-meaning, well-intentioned. Although I think at the time, it probably was great. And maybe not groundbreaking, but I think it definitely said things that needed to be read, needed to be heard, and needed to be understood. Yeah, it's a very unusual story. I remember getting this as a back issue and just being like, what? Because it's only got three JLAers in it, uh, plus Snapper Carr. It doesn't feature any of the quote-unquote marquee characters. There's no Superman, no Batman, no Wonder Woman here. Uh, but uh, and and yeah, and we there is a lot of real estate devoted to these three young people that the Justice League befriends. I mean, it almost in some weird like I think if you saw this on television, this was a show, you would almost be like, this is like a backdoor pilot. You know, mm-hmm. these three other people, because the, the way they so dominate the proceedings. Uh, but nevertheless, I like this story a lot. As you say, it's got its heart in the right place. Uh, it's promoting brotherhood. You could see why you would put this in a digest aimed at small children. I do wonder, I mean, yes, it's aimed at slightly younger audiences, probably than your typical JLA story. But Super Friends was aimed for little kids, and yes. the, the, this story is pretty verbose, as a lot of Gardner Fox stories were, and it features some relatively complex ideas. And so it, it does seem like a strange – like why not just run another Super Friends story? Um, that's, it seems like an odd choice. Nevertheless, I love this story. I think it's, it's, it's a classic. And part of the reason I love it is because it is so unique. I think if they had done this every year in the JLA book, you would have gotten like, all right, this is their, this is their very special episode. You know, but they, this is really a one-off. This is the only time they ever did something like this, and I've never been able to ascertain this. Uh, but I almost wonder if this wasn't done through some government agency, like mm-hmm. when the, the U.S. government came to D.C. and said, "You know, would you mind doing an, an issue, you know, promoting kind of the U.N. and stuff like that?" Who knows? I, I mean, you would think you would do that with again Superman or Batman, not. The Justice League, but okay, whatever. Um, two small things I noticed, um, and this is just specific to the Digest, on pages 12 and 25 of the story, uh, uh, which is uh, page 31 of the Digest and I think 30, uh, 41, uh, mm-hmm. the, the panels have been redrawn. Yeah. Uh, because in the original JLA comic, those were half pages. And that was what, something they used to do back then, where they would run that half-page ad at the bottom or a subscription form or a thing for grit or whatever. But, of course, they don't do that on the Digest. So uh, on page uh, 31 of the Digest, the Green Lantern panel has mm-hmm. been ex- 
expanded and drawn by somebody who clearly doesn't draw that well. Yes, yes. Um, so, I mean, and, and having done some of that in my lifetime, I, when I worked at a, a company where we had to uh, build trading card art based of, off of comic panels, I had to do a lot of mm-hmm. stitching together of artwork and things like that. And so sometimes it wasn't always that great. And then on page 42 of the Digest, the final page of the story, there's a really rough drawing of Snapper Carr holding some papers. And he has these tiny little baby puppet hand. It's really <laughs> well, <laughs> You're not supposed to look at it too closely. On that same page, you can see they just cut and pasted Snapper from the first panel yep. into the last panel because it's exactly the same face, exactly the same expression. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So, <laughs> And yeah. I'll bring up something very similar in the Teen Titans story. Okay. Oh, I'm sure. I bet they did that too. So, yeah. Again, it's. I, I would have preferred a, another Super Friends story. That's. It's the name of the digest for Pizza. But nevertheless, I think this is a a nice choice because uh, it's a it's a sweet story. So, uh, the third story is. Well, actually, re- before we go on, there's one panel I want to point out in the JLA story. Um, it's on Digest page 34, which is story page 15. At the top, when Green Lantern uses like a. Uh, suit ball arrow suit like a chimney suit mm-hmm. um and it the panel is so dark but you can still see the faces of the criminals i just mm-hmm. think that panel looks fantastic it almost looks like something from a horror comic or an ec book that is a great effect it's got all this uh like cross hatching over the the four figures i just think uh, it looks yeah. Yeah, it look it's it's really and there's a like, there's this green bloop sound effect and the guy hey we're surrounded by blackness, uh, yeah that is that is a really nice panel and again and, and uh, I don't have the digest in front of me I, I do own this one I have the I own them all uh, but I have this in scans I have to I'm kind of curious what this looks like in a digest that panel it's probably almost impossible to figure out what you're looking at. Well, it's funny I read. Um both the digital version through DC Universe and I have the digest in my hand right now. And it still holds up. Like, I just think it looks fantastic. Oh, good. good. And, and we'll talk about this. Sometimes the digest printing recolored panels and didn't make them look good. But this, this I think, still just looks fantastic. Excellent. All right. So, okay, the next story is uh, Riddles and Rockets from Super Friends number four. So that was the very next issue. Uh, it's by, again, E. Nelson Birdwell and Ramona Frayden and Bob Smith. The story opens with the Super Friends battling two villains, Skyrocket and the Riddler. The first time the Riddler left a clue to his crime, the Super Friends found out that it fit two places where Skyrocket went to one and the Riddler the other. After the second riddle, Skyrocket escaped again with jewelry, but Superman and Batman caught the Riddler. The Riddler admitted that he overheard of Skyrocket's plan and considered him a rival when he gave the riddles as a clue to Skyrocket's plans. His own mental block caused him to commit crimes that fit his riddles. When Superman asked where Skyrocket was going to strike next, the Riddler gave a clue via another riddle. Where does Marvin have a green thumb? The Super Friends deducted. Uh, or deduced, I guess, uh, Marvin Gardens, and Wendy recognized that Marvin Gardens is in the same color scheme as Atlantic and Ventnor Avenues, as well as the waterworks from the game Monopoly. The Super Friends also knew that a ship known as the Ventnor was in the Atlantic with a shipment of chromium. Figuring that that was where Skyrocket would strike, Superman went to confront him, but Skyrocket easily eludes the Man of Steel again. What he didn't know was that he was over the ocean, and a pod of whales sprayed water from their spouts, thus dousing the rocket engines. Once in the water, Skyrocket is captured by Aquaman. The story ends at the Hall of Justice where Aquaman asks Super Marv what else is near Marvin Gardens on a Monopoly board. Marv answered it was the place where the Riddler and Skyrocket were going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. So uh, what do you think of this one, Sean? I'm going to turn it around on you and ask you, is it worth not having Aquaman in most of the issue when he saves everyone at the end and brings down Skyrocket? That's a very good question. And on the, uh, on the, the, the splash page, it even says, uh, uh, it says, this time our super doers are faced with a fantastic new villain called Skyrocket. What's that? You'll notice someone's missing from this picture? Right. And then there's a little inset. But Aquaman will be along later in the story, and so will the Prince of Puzzlers, the Riddler, which brings <laughs> us to our title. And then he goes on. Um, I kind of like that he, I mean, mm, I mean, I don't like that he was absent from most of the story. But I like that 
they made a special mention to kind of <laughs> say, hey, we all noticed that he is missing. I mean, in Justice League, he was just missing. Right. You know, like nobody paid a day. It was like, oh, Aquaman's off on a mission. But I like that Nielsen Bridwell made the special thing like, oh, no, no, he's, bringing, he's coming into the story. And I like the idea of that, you know, yes, we see Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Robin, but this image is not complete because yeah. one, one super friend is missing. So I love that. I thought that was great, too. My favorite part of this is the fact that the Riddler is trying like, – not he's not just committing crimes. He's trying to frame and bring down another <laughs> criminal. <laughs> the Skyrocket is, again, a very Ramona Frieden-y design. He kind of looks like Adam Strange. Mm-hmm. He's got this sort of fin on his head. And he's got this rocket pack and stuff like that. And he's got, of course, an evil goatee because he, he's evil. Uh, but, yeah, I like the idea that, the you know, of course, there were villains that are jealous of one another. So the Riddler is going to try and bring down – uh, a guy who, as we can see from from history, really he had nothing to be afraid of. And it's neat too because Riddler is in this issue of Super Friends way long before he was in the Challenge of the Super Friends. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess so. That's that's right. Uh, yeah. Again, look, most of these villains were pretty much never seen again. Uh, and I do love. Again, I love that Aquaman comes in at the very end. I love the final panel of the story. Of the Super Friends in the Hall of Justice, where <laughs> Superman is is like laying back in his chair and Batman is sitting on the table, I, it just reminds me of like what it looks like when you're in your house with your family. Like I love how comfortable they are in the Hall of Justice. Well, they're very comfortable because Superman does a little rendition, a uh, singing rendition. Oh, that's right, he does. He sings in this story. What does he sing? Oh, he says including the original sheet music of Der Dieter's Dog. Autographed by the composer Septimus Winner. Never heard of that song. Sure you have. Oh, where is my little dog gone? Oh, where, where can he be? His ears cut short and his tail cut long. Oh, where is he? Which is, there. Uh, and I'm surprised that hasn't been turned into like a meme panel. <laughs> well, we'll have to get on that, uh, Sean. We have the <laughs> DigestCast uh, Twitter feed, so we'll have to we'll, – we'll, we'll get working on that. But yeah, no, this is, it's a fun story. Again, I would have – maybe would have been okay with Aquaman – Having a bigger part, but I do like that that you know that e. Nielsen Bridwell gave him a special notice. And again, the work by Ramona Freyden just cannot be faulted. I love her layouts. <laughs> the scene where um, Skyrocket goes into uh, the the concert and he steals the, the the woman's guitar, and just like there's this giant panel where he's grabbing the jewels off the woman's uh, neck her necklace, and he, the way he flies into the panel like is just like into the page, it's just like a really great shot. It's such a great sense of movement because yeah. his feet are up in the corner, but then his main body is in the middle and your eye just pulls right down towards him. Yeah. And I love uh, that the game Monopoly exists in the DC universe. Like that's <laughs> yeah. fun. That That's a thing that the superheroes can play. Cause of course, you know, in a lot of these comics, they always have like alternate versions of things like whether it be a president or movies it's never exactly the stuff from the real world but of course like oh no monopoly is a thing that you know kids can play right yeah oh well kind of picking up what you said um the singer at that concert uh her name is Jeannie gale she's singing a song called midnight in the andes <laughs> which has to take off. It has to be a takeoff of Midnight at the Oasis. Right, right, uh, right. Like, a, like kind of, a, kind of like a disco song, Maria Mulder. Because the words that she's singing actually fit the framework, the the way the song goes. I'm not going to sing it, <laughs> but it fits that rhythm pattern. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, but you're right. I didn't even think about that. And that's a uh, that's a mountain song. That's a song I listened to when I was on vacation in the Poconos. That was a big mountain oh, song. Right. I heard that on the radio a lot. So yeah, I'm very familiar with that song. That's one. she kind of looks like um she kind of looks like Joni Mitchell, the, the singer, is drawn by Ramona Freyden. But yeah, that's yeah. a threat. That's a good catch, man. That's a great <laughs> Midnight in the Andes. That's fantastic. <laughs> So, yeah, again, it's another really you know, another good pick, another one-off, you know, just a one-and-done, just really, really good. So, um, so the next story is Teen Titans, uh, oddly enough, but we'll get into the reasons for that in a second. It's from Teen Titans number 18. It's called Eye of the Beholder by Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, and Bill Drought. The Teen Titans are asked to come to Stockholm by Interpol to help capture jewel thief Andre LeBlanc with the help of Starfire, a teenage superhero from Russia. Upon meeting the young hero, it turns out he's less enthusiastic about working with American superheroes and is only there out of duty for his country. 
That night, the Titans and Starfire watch over a jewelry store in Stockholm where they catch Andre LeBlanc using high-tech gadgets to try and rob the place. However, the lack of teamwork between the Teen Titans and Starfire allows LeBlanc to escape, which leads to an argument between Kid Flash and Starfire, which almost comes to blows. The next day, LeBlanc sends a message to the Titans and Starfire through Interpol, boasting about his next jewel heist and goads the young heroes into trying to stop him. When LeBlanc tries to rob the location of the Royal Jewels, the Titans and Starfire are there waiting for him. Aqualad impulsively goes after the jewel thief and is trapped in the ventilation system with his strength rapidly weakening when no water is around to be had. The other Titans are soon also defeated, Kid Flash by a force field, Robin bested in hand-to-hand combat, and Wonder Girl tripped up by her own lasso. When LeBlanc steals the royal crown, the only one standing in his way is Starfire, who chases the crook into a subway tunnel. During the fight, Starfire is knocked down onto the tracks. Having freed themselves, the Titans arrive in the subway tunnel where they stop LeBlanc from detonating a grenade and Kid Flash saves Starfire from an oncoming subway train. When LeBlanc tries to ditch the crown by tossing it into a sewage drain, Aqualad is able to recover it and Robin defeats the Jewel Thief, def- beats the Jewel Thief into submission. After the battle, the Titans and Starfire gain new appreciation for each other as they part company as friends. All right, so what is your theory of why this one, this story, why is there a Teen Titans story in a Super Friends digest? I think the overarching theme for this digest is unity, brotherhood, getting along, understanding each other. And although I wish they were all Super Friends stories, I definitely can see how this fits into the theme of understanding each other. Um, You have a Russian superhero teaming up with American superheroes. And back in the 60s, I mean, the Russians were the bad guy. (laughs) How things have changed. (laughs) I'm thinking optimistic. (laughs) Okay, uh, fair enough. Um, What do you think of the artwork by Bill Drought? That's uh, that's, uh, not somebody that I think he was probably doing a fill-in here because, of course, the Teen Titans is mostly drawn by – uh, Nick Cardi at this time, but uh, what do you think of this guy's artwork? It's, it's unusual. It's unusual for superhero comics. Let's say I have um, a great appreciation for it because the kid superheroes, the Teen Titans, look like teenagers. They don't look just like little adults. They look like teenagers, and I think that looks great. Yeah, um, I, I don't mean to uh, always compare things to Alex Toth as if, like, Alex Toth is the end-all, be-all, though he is. Um, and, you know, I don't want to compliment other people by just comparing them to Toth. But nevertheless, Bill Drought has a kind of Toth-like simplicity uh, to his layouts, uh, to his figure work. I agree that they these all the Teen Titans, as they're drawn, they look like younger people. They're not just small adults. They're actual you – know, they're not as muscle-bound. Um, and I, I like his Andre LeBlanc guy. Uh, I like the design of him. It's just a guy in a blue tunic, you know, mm-hmm. like a skin tight suit with these yellow gloves. And he's got uh, he's got like a, the mask. And I like that there are large chunks of the story with no dialogue. Um, the, the thing where um, where LeBlanc is planning his heist and it's just yes, him in a room. Yes. And there's no dialogue, and it's just him with, like, a uh, some drafting tools and a ruler, and it's, like, I, I like all that. It's just very, very simple and straightforward. And when he is setting up the mirrors to uh, put, like, the electronic eye beam away from him, that's all silent. I love that, too. Yeah, it's really, really nice. And, again, it, it and I think his, uh, his style is actually particularly good for digests. Because you know you're yeah. not you're not getting caught up with a million little lines that get shrunk down stuff like that. The scene where he throws the grenade and Wonder Girl tosses it. I love she sticks her fingers in her ear to protect from the the sound of the blast. That's just really cute. Her face is all like scrunchy. She's like, oh, it's gonna be loud. I think that's really cute. Now the only complaint I have about his artwork is he doesn't draw Kid Flash's outfit correctly. Um, in the digest, you can really see it on page 73, which is story page 14, because um, Kid Flash has kind of like the um, – his tunic kind of comes down to a point, and then he just has red tights. But in the actual digital version that you can see, it's just um, kind of like, I guess, trunks or underwear that's all yellow and then red leggings. Oh, right. That's right, right. And then in the digest, they tried to fix it, but it's still just a straight line across at the yellow instead of coming down to a point. Hmm. But that's my point with the artwork in in this story. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I didn't really notice that, but you're, but you're right. Yeah, I don't think we ever saw Andre LeBlanc again. We certainly saw Starfire, who later changed his name to Red Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he came back a bunch of times. Uh, it is sort of funny that, like, Aqualad, the one heroic thing Aqualad gets to do is go down into the sewer. Like, yeah, you know, yay, Aqualad. But he has such a happy look on his face when he pops out of the trap door. I got it. I wonder how Robin's going with LeBlanc. Yeah, it's really, it's really cute. And I like the last panel, which is another wordless panel of them just waving goodbye to Starfire. Like, again, it's it's really nice. I love how he – I love how Bill Drought draws Starfire. He never smiles. Like, he's always got this grim look on his face. Other than the panel where he's saying goodbye to the Teen Titans, which has a slight grin, he always just looks so serious, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, one cool. um one sad part about being in the digest is this book has a fantastic cover. Yes. So action packed. And I know it's not in the digest, but I encourage everyone to check out Teen Titans 18, the cover. It looks fan it's dynamic. It's such a dynamic, action packed cover that looks fantastic right you got this train coming and then all the uh all the like the, the lettering is at angles and stuff it is it's one of the great teen titans covers i've, I've said this before in previous episodes of digest because why they didn't include the covers to digest i guess the they figured the pages you know the, they they didn't want to use up the real estate i guess right. but i don't know i mean to me the cover is part of the comic book i, I that was always frustrating to me that uh, they don't they don't include the covers. It's just especially I, this one. It's such a good one. I could almost see that comic book cover being a film noir poster. Yeah, yeah. It's it really is really. Yeah, go go to Mike's Amazing World or even just just Google Teen Titans eighteen and you'll see it. The cover colors are great. It's really really superb stuff. Is it? This is a fun little fill in. You know, it's a nice little one off. And again, you teach the you teach the you know kids about brotherhood, kind of like the other story so it, it all it all fits together thematically yeah so all right well the final story is the monster menace from super friends number 10 once again by e nelson bridwell ramona Fraden, and bob smith when the wonder twins find a beautiful woman being chased by what appear to be monsters from the movies they help her escape she claims the monsters are pursuing her because she inherited some treasures from her late father the super friends then agree to find the hidden treasures for her in a cave, Batman, Robin, and Wonder Woman battle two vampires, a mummy, and a werewolf, and then find a golden ring. At sea, Aquaman and Superman battle what appears to be the Frankenstein monster, an undead sorcerer with green magic, and a fishman, very similar to the creature from the Black Lagoon. Again, the monsters are beaten, and the heroes find the golden lantern. Back at the Hall of Justice, the heroes try to make sense of the events and talk with the captured monsters, who reveal that they are actually alien superheroes, did just happen to resemble Earth monsters. The woman is actually an alien criminal named Char Yamat, and the treasures are a stolen Green Lantern power ring and its battery disguised with a gold covering. Yamat tries to use these items to escape, but is outfought by the alien Green Lantern. With the matter resolved, the alien heroes then leave for space, with Robin taking notice on how appearances can be misleading. All right, man. John, what do you think of this one? This is my favorite story in the book. Me too. I love I love the message that you can't be deceived by what people look like. That doesn't mean they're true intentions. I love the character designs for the classic monsters. Everything, the action. I just think everything about this is wonderful. I would not change a single panel in this book. Yeah, I love the shot of a mummy werewolf Frankenstein and the creature from the Black Lagoon just running at the Wonder Twins is so fun. And it's sort of, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of that classic cover of the Super Friends number 28, the Halloween that issue. That was in my notes. It was in my notes. <laughs> right, where the, the Super Friends are squaring off against like a Bizarro, the Demon, Swamp Thing, Man Bat. Who's the other one? There's one other one. Bizarro, Swamp Thing, Man Bat, Demon. Who's the fifth character? Sol- Solomon Grundy. Oh, Solomon Grundy. That's right, right, right. But of course, that cover can't quite live up. The story can't live up to the cover because as we find out when we read on the inside, they're not. They're just guys in costumes. Right. Uh, it's right. not the actual monsters. And of course, that this story, they're not the actual monsters here. But at the very least, they are. You know, it it the contrivance that these superheroes just happen to look like Earth monsters is, is beyond like, oh my god, what are you kidding? But it doesn't matter because you nevertheless, it's like, when else am I going to get when else am I going to get to see Aquaman take on the creature from the Black Lagoon? Right, yeah. And Batman and Batwoman. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's oh, it's fantastic. I really love it. I love Jaina's um, charm bracelet with all the superhero logos on it, which she uses to, to call the super friends. Oh, man. How could they not make that for kids to buy? Well, and that is really for real in the comics. Wendy had that and she gave it to Wonder Woman to give to Jaina. I love stuff like that. Yeah, I that they they could have sold. I would have bought that. I'm not. A, I was not a jewelry <laughs> kid, but oh man, that that is like with a little Aquaman A on it. That's killer. When especially they could light up. I would love. Yeah. That. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, the scene down in the cave is great of the Batman and Batwoman with all the deep shadows. You get to see uh, you know the Dracula guy punching Batman. I like Batman's like woof. This fellow's not about to throw in the towel. <laughs> he's like he's surprised. This guy's actually giving him a bit of a bit of a fight back. Well, and too, and even all that. So, so we've been talking about this. We haven't even mentioned that the Green Lanterns are involved in this too. Right? Surfer, yeah. Sinestro. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, it's it's Elsa. I mean, we, we all know E. Melson Bridwell knew the DC universe backwards and forwards. He was he was like their living, walking. He was their living, walking, breathing encyclopedia. Uh, so he probably didn't even have to consult anything. Like he could just knew all the stuff off the top of his head, but yeah, he just effortlessly works in the larger Green Lantern universe, which is yeah, just fantastic. Like it just we just wander in, you're like, oh yeah, oh there's this whole Green Lantern thing, and there's we see Sinestro, and there's the the flashback, and it's, it's all done in kind of greens and and oranges, which is kind of a nice nice touch. Uh, I it, it's 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 just such a blast. Can you imagine standing around the water cooler talking to E. Nelson Birdwell about DC stuff? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, he must have just been so like I want I like to think he was a nice guy and he wasn't somebody who was like, well, actually, you know, because I mean I'm sure that he knew it more than you did. You know, you might say, Well, of course we all know uh Martian Manor left the Justice League in Justice League of America number seventy two. Well, actually it was number seventy one. You're like, Oh, all right, sorry. Okay, I do my best. No, I like to think he's probably a nice guy. He just loves I, I, I think he's held in high regard. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, he said he wrote he wrote everything and include including text pieces. And uh the inside back cover features a text piece when heroes meet it is uncredited, but I'm betting it is by E. Nelson Bridwell. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is because it's all talking about the history of hero teams. Uh, it mentions Charlie's Angels in the Love Boat. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the, the the first the first uh, television universe. Yeah, right. Exactly. The Aaron Spelling verse, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and then at the bottom, it says, "In this new heroic age, team ups have proliferated. Indeed, we have seen what hardly anyone would have expected: Superman teaming with Marvel's." Spider-Man, an event to be repeated in the not-too-distant future. The Man of Steel has also battled and worked with others, including Captain Marvel and Muhammad Ali. So we have a little bit of a treasury love here in this digest. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's a crossover. It's another podcast crossover. <laughs> Very good. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, this, and this, you know, this, I think Shag and I have talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but maybe not as much as we should. When I was a kid, these text pieces were vital to giving me the the history because of course you know this is 1979 this is pre-internet there's the only way you're going to learn this stuff and i poured over this stuff i loved knowing issue numbers and it mentions the seven soldiers of victory and the all-star comics number three and even gives like cover dates i mean this i loved all these text pieces this stuff was so valuable to someone who wanted to learn this stuff i agree and i th- i think that's part of the reason why i love the digests. Um, and like you said earlier, they were more expensive, but I definitely felt I got my money's worth. And I was not a Richie Rich. I didn't have a ton of money <laughs> for every one. So I had to be frugal. But I, I thought that was a great investment for, you know, 95 cents, you get 100 pages. And it's history and it's stuff that I didn't have access to at all. And each month was a different theme, a different topic, a different hero. I, I love the digest. I'm sure that's why I love them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also, I love. I, I talked about how uh, he mentioned the Superman Spider-Man team up, but uh, Bridwell also says in paragraph three, perhaps the first crossover was when the Human Torch met the Submariner in the timely now Marvel Comics, which you know, for for people of a younger age, where like there's this crossover between all these companies and there's all these crossbreedings of like licenses and all this stuff, it doesn't seem that remarkable. But in the seventies. DC and Marvel really went out of their way not to mention each other. 
You know, it was right. always the distinguished competition. I forget what Mar- what for DC's term for Marvel was, but here is E. Nelson Burwell flat out giving credit to Marvel Comics for basically doing the first superhero team up, which is very a very generous thing. I agree. I, I think it's wonderful, and it's it is it's neat, especially for that time period. It's neat to hear a Marvel reference in a DC book. Yeah, that's really cool. So, uh, yeah, it's a great, great text piece. So then the final thing we talk about is the back cover, which is drawn by, again, JLGLPBHN uh, with Bob Smith and Joe Orlando. And it's got – it talks about the stories. It says, a just a linked tale of love and hate, war and peace, crime and punishment. Man, thy name is brother. Three thrill-packed adventures of the sensational super friends, cosmic hitman, riddles and rockets, monster madness, and then the Teen Titans, Eye of the Beholder. And on the top – uh, of the cover is the Justice League with the three uh, young people, uh, four four young people, and then the bottom is the Teen Titans with with Red Star, and it's just them posing, waving at the crowd, and you can just like JLGL so good at this stuff, so good at coming up with very distinctive body poses. That were very unique to the individual people. Hawkman has his kind of his foot up, and Green Lantern is leaning on his bow. The Teen Titans are standing there proud. Red Star is crouching. Wonder Girl's got her arm around Aqualad and Robin. Like there is so much life in these little figures, and it's amazing to think that this these figures are probably what an inch high, and yet they are just yeah. you immediately can figure out what they're all about, even from that tiny, tiny size. Well, and look, you, you have two people sitting, one person crouching, but yet they're all so distinct. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful card. It's got a white background. Uh, the behind the Justice League are just some shadows, and then behind the Titans are is like a city background. It's beautiful. It's just a great little insets. I imagine these were probably done as two separate pieces of artwork and then dropped in together as one cover. But boy, it's just. This is one of the best digest covers. I mean, I know it's your favorite cover, but they really went out of their way to come up with something special for this collection because these two covers are just beautiful. Yeah, and and again, this was a third issue, so the digest series was still brand new. Um, and I doubt they even had sales reports back yet for it yeah. back in this day. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, this uh, that that is going to do it actually for this uh, best of DC Digest number three, the Super Friends. It is the only Super Friends Digest, which is very sad because the Super Friends comic ran all the way until around nineteen eighty two or three, I think. Uh, and the forty seven issues, forty seven <laughs> issues, and of course the cartoon, the cartoon. Uh, ran all the way till 1986, so I mean, it wasn't like the Super Friends had gone away. But uh, I wonder why this was the only digest. I mean, I, I guess probably to the, the most obvious answer is didn't sell very well. I would imagine they probably would have done more of them if they had. I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. a shame. It's, it is a shame because this is a great book. I never missed an issue of the Super Friends. I mean, I, I bought it as regularly as I did Justice League. I looked at it as it was like this was like another Justice League comic. I loved it from backwards and forwards. I agree. Me too. Yeah, yeah. which. Which it's funny because I talked earlier about how it disappoints me. It disappointed me then that the Teen Titans and Justice League stories were in, and I I just think it could have been if I would have been the editor. <laughs> I just like the, the first two stories from Super Friends, which was the Super Foes two parter, and then the three part story where Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog meet Zan, Jaina, and Gleek. That three part story. I just think that would have been fantastic for the Digest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That would have been a nice collection. It's it's a shame we never got a chance to for them to do it again. Of course, they had to make more room for like the nineteen Superman digest they did. The, you know, Superman versus aliens, Superman versus this, Superman versus that, the Daily Planet, all kinds of stuff. But but anyway, if you know, if we're going to just have one Super Friends collection, they did a really good job. I said the the cover is fantastic, and that, I would love that as a t shirt. That would make a great t shirt, just on a oh, white, yeah. simple white shirt. That would be beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, now we do have a little bit of uh, Super Friends news, uh, which is exciting. First of all, there is a new Super Friends devoted podcast uh, by our friends John S. Drew and Dan Greenfield, my boss over at 13th Dimension the Com. It's called the World's Greatest Super Friends podcast, uh, and so you can find it on iTunes and stuff. They've just, they've just done the first episode so far, but it, they'll be chronicling, I guess, every iteration of the show, which is that's a that's a that's a big meal to take on. Uh, but it's, as I said, the first episode is out, so if you like to hear Super Friends commentary, go check that show out. And related to 13th Dimension, uh, they ran a news item a couple of weeks ago that DC on Amazon, they have solicited a Super Friends deluxe hardcover book 
mm-hmm. which will feature a bunch of Super Friends stories and even the ultra rare Super Friends Meet the Aquateers mini comic, which came along as an exclusive to a uh, a pair of uh, scuba goggles, uh, Super Friends branded scuba goggles. I am buying that book for the Aquateers. <laughs> I've read that book. I, it's a very, very strange little book, but uh, but yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm charmed that that exists somewhere as like a digital file that they could put it in there, and supposedly it will also include um, the Super Friends Treasury, which means it'll feature all that Alex Toth material, uh, ideally. Yeah. Which again, another chance to see the uh, Justice League drawn by a typical Super Friends artist, and as we all know, we covered it uh, on episode two of Treasury Cast. That Alex Toth sequence in the Hall of Justice is just like the greatest thing ever. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, this ought to be a really beautiful book. There's no date yet, uh, and we know that it, sometimes things get posted on Amazon and they get taken down. But but hopefully this book will come out. I would love to see it. It's going to be a really really beautiful volume. So so uh, I guess uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Digest Cast. Sean, thank you so much for doing this. I, your enthusiasm for the Super Friends is infectious, and I really appreciate you filling in at the last minute for the supposedly sick Irredeemable Shag. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it, I promise, and I love talking about the Digest. absolutely love the Digest, love listening to the podcast, love everything about Digests. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. He said you've always been a big booster of the show, and now you get to be on it. It's so exciting. So now that we've covered this one, we'll have to talk about having you back for another episode. I'm sure you have other Digests you would love to talk about. Uh, just a list of my 15 favorites. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, maybe Shag will be out the next week too. So uh, well, that, that is going to do it for this episode of Digest Cast, except I'm going to play a podcast promo and when we come back, I'm going to do your listener feedback. Can you believe it, Jay? Young Justice is back. The Cartoon Network show from five years ago? Uh, no, yeah, that too. I, I, I mean the comic book. Oh, cool. A comic book based off the Cartoon Network show? No, yeah. Yeah, I mean that too, but but not oh, that. The 1998 Peter David run. No, yeah, kind of. I mean, oh, this is going to get confusing. Wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that there's a brand new comic book series written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Patrick Gleason, along with a new season of the animated show on the DC Universe streaming app and a digital first comic that fills in the gaps between seasons two and three? Yes, I mean... <sighs> Yes. Sounds like we need a podcast to keep all this straight. (laughs) That's what I've been trying to say. Well, say it. The new podcast, Everyone Loves Young Justice, will spin out of Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, as a sister podcast, following the adventures of Tim Drake and his new team, Young Justice, with members like Superboy, Impulse, Wonder Girl, Arrowette, Red Tornado, The Justice Cave, Miss Martian, Blue Beetle, Shazam, The Supercycle, Jitty Hex, Teen Lantern, Jay, Jay! What? (laughs) One thing at a time, man. Oh, sorry. We will start right where it all began in the pages of the 1998 Peter David run. And we will alternate between that and the new Brian Michael Bendis 2019 run. While also discussing the DC Universe animated series and tie-in comics. We are part of the BatmanUniverse.net podcast network. We can be found there or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're going to cover all aspects of Young Justice. Man, I love Young Justice. I know. Everyone does. Oh, I get it. (sighs) And now we're back with listener feedback for Digest Cast number nine, which was the episode where Shag and I and our special guest stars, the Franklins, talked about the Super Juniors holiday special. Uh, The first comment from the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, of course, is our pal Ryan Daly, who says, if you took a drink every time Chris mentioned Andy Mangles, you'd have to have your stomach pumped before Rob and Shag got to the listener feedback section. And then Chris chimed in and he said he likes to give credit where credit is due, and now he needs his address to send him that check. So, uh, so Chrissy, I hope you got that uh, squared away in time. Uh, next up is Sean M. Myers, which, of course, you heard on uh, just this very episode. And he says, mm-hmm. I just finished listening to the December edition of Digest Cast, although I'm always happy to hear you guys talk about the Digest. This month, I feel more relieved than happy. I love superhero stories, I love Christmas stories, I love Digest stories, I love stories that were supposed to be in treasuries, but repurposed elsewhere. But man, I was very disappointed with the Super Junior story, The Isle of Forgotten Toys, so I'm relieved that most of you guys felt the same way. 
I agree that the art is great, although poorly reproduced at my beloved Digest size. The artist who did the Super Juniors, Vince Squeglia, reminds me of Brad Gilchrist, who did the Super Colonel comics that I used to get through school book orders. Brad Gilchrist went on to work on the Muppet comic strip. The three Sugar and Spike stories were all great and just reinforces how charming the idea and execution is. The Christmas message from Superman at the end of the show was fantastic and how wonderful that Superman quotes Lincoln in his speech. i like to give thanks to all the other listeners who have commented on these shows. I love hearing everyone's opinions and information about the Digest. I can't wait to find out what the next Digest is. Well, Sean, I think... I think you know. Uh, Chuck Coletta uh, wrote in. He says, wonderful episode, Super Friends. Hey, I never heard of this digest, so your comments are quite interesting. I know DC is having good success with the kid-friendly superhero girls line of products, and I see that Mira is the focus as the movie approaches. I picked up some of the comics and watched one of the DVDs just to get a sense of the series and its tone. Very cute and a great way to introduce the DC heroes to a generation of girls. I don't know if any of the F&W crew follow the superhero girls, but I'd be interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, Chris and Cindy do because, of course, I think I think Danny is a big fan of them. Their daughter, Danny. Um, I don't know. I'll have to find out. Everybody, for the, the hey F and W guys, if if any of you have kids that are following the DC superhero girls, uh, uh, let us know. I want to know what the, what kids think of these things. Um, so anyway, thank you so much for the comment, Chuck. Brian Linton says my nine year old daughter is big into the DC superhero girls, and along with Teen Titans Go, it has served as her primary introduction to the DC universe. Overall, I think the property serves that role well, introducing a variety of characters, both male and female, from all over the DCU. My one minor complaint is the way they have reimagined some traditional villains as heroes. Case in point, my daughter's favorite character in the series was originally Poison Ivy, understandably referred to as just Ivy. Uh, my daughter was pretty bummed to learn that Ivy is a supervillain in the mainstream comic books and that she bears little resemblance to the shy, sweet, sensitive young girl from DC SHG. That's really interesting, Brian. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, if you're if you're introducing these characters to little kids, and then you know as they grow, you find out that they're kind of like a bad guy. I can see that might be disappointing. Although I guess from what I've seen, Poison Ivy seems to be like almost like straddling that Catwoman line, where she's kind of like a bad guy, good guy sort of thing. But I don't know. It's interesting. And Chuck Coletta came back and he said, one quick comment I forgot to add. Did that wallpaper really have to match up exactly? Would anyone really ever notice if it wasn't perfect? As someone who has neither the skills nor patience for that kind of detail work, I applaud you both. I think our family motto was, it's good enough. Chris Franklin came back and said, uh, yes, Chuck, actually he did. Or there'd be a weird floating suction cup repeated multiple times every two feet or so. And then Chuck came back again and he said, I can paint, but wallpaper is beyond me. Most of my home projects usually turn into a Three Stooges routine. Um, and then Martin Gray jumps in. He says, if the arrows don't match up, there's no point, pun not intended. Do it right or not at all. Uh, Martin, I didn't know you were such a taskmaster. Uh, Dr. Ange uh, pipes in. He says, uh, one, never heard of the Super Juniors and shocked to hear there was a Supergirl version. Please, anyone out there, send me close-ups of any Supergirl merch from this line. Uh, two, love the Giffen Sugar Spike revamp. The art by Bill Quis Evely was unreal, uh, and it was a sort of fun romp to the DCU. The last story involving Legion time travel hijinks was the high point. Three, thanks, Rob. Now I'll have Jerry's Uncle Warbling Froggy Winter Corton stuck in my head. The twang when he pulled out a Tom Whisker was always palpable. You could tell it would sting. Yeah, I, said it. I haven't seen that cartoon in probably 35 years, but I still remember that one. Just the idea of pulling a whisker out of, of somebody's face is awful. You know, if you're, anybody pulls a hair out of your head, it's immensely painful. So, yeah, it's a very, very, very memorable, those, those Tom and Jerry's. Uh, Chris Franco came back again. He said, Rob, I thought of Jerry's Uncle Pico's immediately when I reread the Sugar and Spike tale. Pico's past is one of my absolute favorite Tom and Jerry shorts and one that my whole family enjoyed in self-references from time to time. Love the Superman message at the end, words to live by. Yeah, everyone seemed to like that uh, that little bit from the Superman radio show. I couldn't believe when I found it on uh, YouTube. It really is a, an amazing speech. Uh, and it's I don't know if it's something that a um, corporation would be comfortable having one of their characters say. Uh, but, uh, but back then I figured it was okay and I thought it was a, a good sentiment to end uh, the Christmas episode. So I'm glad everybody liked it. Anyway, Brian Linton came back and he said, While not an expert on the Super Juniors like Chris and Cindy, I was the proud owner of a Super Junior sleeping bag as a kid. See my comments for Super Mate 71. I'd always assumed Super Juniors was just a merchandising campaign and had no idea that it ever made it into 
print. It's so sad the concept never really took off. I'm not too proud to admit that I watched Muppet Babies back in the day, but I would have taken Super Juniors over Muppet Babies any day of the week. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, Brian. I, I, I certainly was okay with giving up properties as I felt like they were getting more kid-friendly. Like, I didn't watch Droids or Ewoks, even though I loved Star Wars. Uh, and still do, but I think at 14, I just looked at droids, and Ewoks was like a no-sale, definitely, even though I liked them in the movie. But droids just looked like a little too kitty for me. But I wonder if I would have made that same choice for Super Juniors, just because it's, I don't know, I love the superheroes so much, so maybe I might have been able to kind of like sell myself on that. I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll never find out. Uh, Edo Boznar says, uh, my enjoyment of this episode and your great conversation stands in inverse proportion to the enjoyment I derive from the lead story in this digest. Yes, I read it recently as I stumbled onto a site that has tons of comics you can read online. Don't know how kosher it all is, but I was really curious about this one. I did manage to read the Super Junior story in one sitting, but it was truly arduous. That's about 45 minutes of my life I'll never get back. Seriously, I don't think I would have liked this even back when I was in first or second grade, and back then I was a kid who occasionally read and enjoyed Spidey Super Stories. The Sugar and Spike stories, on the other hand, were a delight. I've never read any of those before, and now I wouldn't mind reading some more. Cowboy Santa Claus, in particular, is really well done and genuinely entertaining. Love the grandpa who's so old. He once more understands baby speak. Yeah, every, everybody loves Sugar and Spike. It's I don't know anyone who doesn't like Sugar and Spike. Maybe people never been exposed to it, but once you get exposed to it, like you were, uh, Edo, uh, you love it. Martin Gray comes back and he says, Fab show, everyone. The Super Juniors are cute, but the story sounds like not my bag. And Junior is so weird to me, almost as weird as people giving people a little suffix. Give the kids their own name. If you want a mini-me, have a creepy doll made. <laughs> According to the interwebs, in the early 80s, Nickelodeon had this thing called video comics in which strips were read on screen and SNF strips were included. Wonder how the baby jabber sounded. Oh, and I've just found a short but great YouTube piece on the kids mentioning that James Robertson and Neil Gaiman, uh, Sheldon Mayer, had a contract stipulating only he was allowed to write the kids. And Martin Gray provides the link, which was great. Um, it's a really interesting video. I didn't know that about Sheldon Mayer. Um, that's really uh, interesting because Shogun Spike did appear in other comics. Uh, they had a cameo in Showcase number 100, which was written by Paul Kupperberg and Paul Levitz, but I don't think they talk in that. So I think that uh, the rule may still be in effect that only the baby Shogun Spike are only ever going to be written by Sheldon Mayer. Um, regarding video comics, yes, of course, this comment uh, from this episode is, is, goes back far enough that in the meantime, I have done a whole episode on video comics. You can find that on FW, uh, part of the FW Presents feed, where I talked to the director of that series, Dana Caddison, and I learned uh, lots of new information about the video comic series, and I am working on some other things, hopefully, to find more and more stuff about video comics. But yeah, I, I believe that video comics was my introduction to Sugar and Spike. I'm trying to remember how the baby talk sounded, but I, I can't quite recall it. But uh, yeah, I think that might have been the beginning of Sugar and Spike for me. And like I said, Sugar and Spike, I've always liked it. They were like the Muppets. You know, I just liked them no matter what age I were. I never felt like I was too old for them. So they're just a, an utter delight from beginning to end. Siskoi uh, from our network says, Little kids' comics are always charming, if nothing else. And oftentimes, that's enough. Today's examples, Tiny Titans and Little Gotham, are fun too. True that. Gothos Mansion says, I don't remember seeing any Super Junior stuff back in the late 70s or early 80s. What other types of stuff were there? My mother did buy me one of those baby Batmans that were advertised in the old comics, but I think she ordered it out of a Sears catalog. I did get the digest when it first came out. My thoughts on it were, how exactly did I get this? I would have been about 13 at the time, and I'm sure I would have thought I was too old for it. I wonder if my mother saw it and picked it up. If she had seen the Super Junior stuff when I was young, I'm sure she would have bought it. Even though I'm 47, she still buys me cute superhero stuff, dorbs, mopies, etc. <laughs> that's fantastic, Gothos. That's a, that's a very cute thing to hear. I think I said on the show that if I had seen this on the stands, I probably wouldn't have bought it because I just would have thought it was too kiddie. But I, again, I guess we'll we'll never know. And apparently, not a lot of people bought it. As I mentioned in that episode, editor Nick Cootie said that this, the book didn't sell very well. So obviously, it didn't appeal to uh, comics fans at the time. So uh, that is going to do it for the listener feedback for episode nine. Thanks everybody for writing in. Thanks everybody for uh, retweeting the show and uh, spreading the word on Facebook and all the other social media platforms to get the, the word out about Digest Cast. As we know, this is an incredibly niche show, but Shag and I enjoy doing it and uh, I wish him uh, all the best that he gets well from his uh, flu-like symptoms. And I have to big, big thanks to Sean Myers for stepping in and doing this Super Friends 
Friends episode with me kind of at the last minute. I really do appreciate it. We had a lot of fun. And if you want to uh, leave comments on this episode, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can leave an iTunes review. Uh, Shag and I will be getting back to those at some point, reading off the iTunes reviews. And, of course, you can follow the show uh, over on Twitter at uh, DigestCast. So I think that is going to do it for this episode. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, good things come in small packages. Romance in our heads Heaven's holding